0: Friends, please take your Bibles again and open to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6 this time, Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. An older pastor, when I was a young man, an older pastor once told me that if you would really want to split your church, uh, you should start talking to people about how they parent. And I think there is some wisdom in that. I mean... There are few areas of life where we are so embroiled with our own sins, uh, our own idols, sometimes even making our children our idols. Um, it's daily life stuff when you're a parent. And I'm thinking here of those of you who have little people under your roof still, which, by the way, anytime a pastor preaches about parenting is the Sunday your kids are going to go nuts in church. So don't feel bad about it. It happened to me too. Um, And you know, like doubly bad because I was the pastor. So uh, that's just how it goes. And we all understand. And those of us who have like older children, we're all just kind of going, "Yeah, (laughs) we remember what that was like. We love you. We understand." Uh, Anyway, hopefully that won't happen. But what I was thinking, since um, you know, uh, so much of the resistance toward having anybody talk to you about your parenting is is really rooted in a kind of pride. And since you're such a humble church, I decided that it would just probably be helpful to begin with a couple of lists. So I'm going to read a list of all you parents that are really nailing it and doing a great job, and then i got a list of all the parents that aren't. Yeah, okay, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, no list except one list, and on the list it's people who follow Jesus who happen to have children, and, and that's the list for today. Uh, We're in this series, Let's Just Live Like Christians, and we're following along in Ephesians exactly where Paul goes, and so that's why we're talking about parenting. And the question I'm wanting to ask this morning is, um, how do we just live like Christian parents? Uh, Because the Bible has something to say about you being a parent. If you're not a parent yet, uh, maybe one day you will be, so you ought to pay careful attention. And maybe you're not going to be, but you still need to pay careful attention because you need to be supporting all the parents in our church to parent in this particular way. So uh, let's look at the passage, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, kids, that's you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. On your father and mother, he's quoting from the commandments, This is the first commandment with a promise on your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's the promise. If you obey, it will go well with you. Fathers, verse 4, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want you to notice a couple of things here. First of all, when talking about the family Paul begins by addressing the persons who are in the role of submission. They're coming under another person's authority. Just like when Paul was talking about marriages. Remember in Ephesians chapter 5, look back to verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So in a marriage, the wife is to submit. What does that word mean? Do you remember? It means to willingly place oneself under the authority of another. So, the wife is to submit to her own husband, not all men, just her own husband, as to the Lord. So, that's where he begins when he's talking about marriage. Now, when he's talking about family, he does the same thing. Chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So, in a family, children are to obey, this is a different word than submit. They're to obey their own parents in the Lord. So in both cases, wife, children, he begins by addressing the person who is in the position of, for lack of a better term, the follower. A wife is to follow her husband's lead to be under his authority and a child is to follow her parents' lead to be under his authority. And as we saw in the case of a marriage, a marriage between a man and a woman, the husband is to exercise his authority in a particular way. It's not just willy-nilly, you know, be authoritative. What's the way? Verse 25 of chapter 5, husbands, love your, w- own, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the way, husband, right? And just like there was a way that a husband is to exercise his authority, we could anticipate that there's going to be a way that a parent is to exercise their authority over their children. That's spelled out for you in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this way that parents are to exercise authority over their children, it's broken into three parts. There's a negative and then two positives. The first and negative. Do not provoke to anger. That's what's prohibited. Do not provoke to anger. And then comes the positives. Do bring them up, nourish them. And by the way, that's the same word Paul used in chapter 5, verse 29, nourish. When he's talking about Christ nourishing and cherishing the church. And it's this idea of providing for um, feeding, nourishing. So he's, he's raised them, nourished them, feed them in, in the realm of what? The discipline of the Lord and the instruction of the Lord. And the question there is, is this. Is Paul, when, he's, when he talks about discipline and instruction, is he talking about two different things or is he using two similar words to talk about one thing? And I want to argue that he's talking about two separate things here. I think that will become clear as we go. So, what you have here is Paul giving instructions to dads, you notice he said fathers, don't exasperate your children, do raise them up in the discipline of the Lord, and do raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. Now, before we unpack those imperatives, these commands, I think it's important to consider that they don't apply to just the father but to both father and mother to the parents paul you say well paul says here fathers does he mean just fathers or does he mean parents should a mom exercise discipline and instruction or is it just the realm of dad to answer that question maybe in your mind answer this question does a church discipline her members Well, yeah, that's Matthew chapter 18. And the church functions as the agent of the Lord's discipline of his own members. So the church, what's the church doing? The local church is exercising the authority of Christ, which is why Jesus says at the end of that passage in Matthew 18, he says, you know what, you're loosing and binding on earth. I'll be loosing and binding in heaven. Loosing and binding are words of the expression of authority, making declarative judgments about people. And so with the local church, what's the church doing when it disciplines one of her members? It is exercising Christ's authority. It's a mediated authority. So in our passage here in Ephesians, interestingly, Paul has already compared wives to whom? The church. So I think it's safe to assume that uh, just as the church exercises the mediated authority of her husband, Christ, so a mom will exercise the mediated authority of her husband, Larry. (laughs) I think that's at least part of the reason why Paul says parents in verse 1 and then fathers in verse 4. Did you notice that? It's kind of a recognition of the authority structure within the home. And again, that comes back to seeing authority as a good gift from God. And if that sounds foreign to you, all I can do at this point is commend you. Go back, I think, two weeks when I last preached and spent like the majority of that sermon on husbands and wives talking about authority and how authority is a good gift and we ought to rejoice in it. So in the typical family with mom and dad, that authority... Is, is given to dad in an, in an ultimate sense, and when it comes to the children, it's then also mom who in a penultimate sense is exercising that authority. As she is functioning much like the church functions in relation to her own members. She's, she's exercising the father's authority within the home. So mom and dad, I'm saying all of that because it's been a question that's been posed to me many times through the years. And I thought maybe it would be worthwhile to just point that out. This, this verse 4 applies to both of you. Even though it says fathers, implied there just contextually is that this is parents. This is mom and dad. And may I add at this point that if you're a single mom, I think that you can then take great confidence that this, this applies to you too. You're, you're the authority in your home now. You're the authority with your children, and and you too need to use that authority in the right way. All right, what's the right way? Let's get to our points. Number one, parents, do not exasperate your kids. Kids, I'm now speaking to you. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but we haven't spent a lot of time on verses one to three. That's the part that says, children, obey your parents. I thought about doing a show of hands. How many kids here did your parents make you memorize that verse? Uh, <laughs> we did. (laughs) Um, If you're a kid, here's what it comes down to. I think you kids are smart. I don't have to spend a lot of time here. This is really pretty simple. It says obey your parents. Uh, Now, the Greek word obey means obey, (laughs) which basically means do what you're told. Now, if if dad says, I want you to go steal something from mom, then you have to disobey because your highest authority is always God. Uh, But basically, you, you need to do what your parents tell you to do. So your job here is really pretty simple. And when you don't obey them, your mom and dad have a job. Their job is to then correct you and help you to obey them. And they need to do all of that in love. I also just, because these questions come up so much, just want to pause here and say if you're 28 years old and living on your own, you're not to obey your parents. This verse, it, it's children. It, it, it's, it's people, the kids, little people that are under your roof. Uh, if you're 28 and your mom is like ruling your life, um, and <laughs> yeah, you got a whole other set of problems. Uh, you need to honor your parents, but you don't need to obey them. The obedience command is linked here to little children, all right? And and when when little children choose to not obey mom and dad, here's what parents need to do. Verse 4, fathers, don't provoke your kids to anger. Paul said something similar when he was writing to the Colossians, Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Isn't that interesting? Lest they become discouraged. So in Ephesians, don't provoke to anger and to the Colossians, Don't make them resentful. Don't stir up bitterness. Don't don't push them into a place where it leads to discouragement. Now, what kinds of things would stir up anger and bitterness in the heart of a child? I think the answer is right here in this text. Just take the next two commands and reverse them. Do the opposite of them. If you would like to discourage your children, give them unjust, unloving discipline. If you want to exasperate your children, withhold or give them very muddied instruction. If parents consistently exercise their authority in those ways, they're going to lead their child right into the bog of discouragement. Did you know that Canada's youth suicide rate is third highest in the industrialized world? 10% of 15-year-olds in Canada identify as being depressed. And, And all these rates have been steadily increasing. And sometimes I wonder if part of the reason those things are increasing is either the abuse of or the abdication of godly authority in the home. One of the big cultural pushes is to abdicate authority because there's so much abuse of authority. But if a dad is is continually acting out in anger against his son, in all likelihood that son is going to grow to despise his father and be very discouraged in his life. And if a mom is continually barking orders at her daughter without explaining the why, The daughter is likely going to boil over in anger and seething bitterness. What does Paul mean when he writes, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger? I'll tell you what he cannot mean. He cannot mean only do the things that your kids agree with and make them happy. (laughs) That would be the surrendering of authority to the children. That's not how instruction and discipline work. And those are the very commands that come next. So I want us to look at those commands for a minute. We've spotted the one negative thing parents should not do. Do not exasperate your children. And I'm suggesting that the primary way you exasperate your kids, the primary way you discourage them, the primary, primary way you, you push them toward bitterness is by using your parental authority improperly, unjust unloving discipline, withholding or not giving clear directions. And so in the spirit of what Paul has said all through this section, take those behaviors off and then let's put new behaviors on. What are we going to put on? What are the positive things parents need to do? This is point number two, lovingly stop and correct bad behaviors in your children. Lovingly, Stop and correct bad behaviors in your children. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So raise them, right, is our word, nourish them in the realm of the discipline of the Lord. What does that mean, <laughs> the discipline of the Lord? Uh, Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. You're going to want to go there, Hebrews chapter 12, because we're going to walk through this passage, because God has given us in Hebrews 12 a really excellent sort of explanation of what discipline is. In, In Hebrews 12, the author is describing how God disciplines an adult child of his, all right, a Christian. And it's a fairly lengthy and detailed description. It uses the same word here, discipline. uses it eight, nine times throughout the passage. And he's saying here that God's discipline of us Christians is actually a proof, all right? Listen to this. God's discipline of a Christian is proof that he loves you. In fact, he says, if you're not getting disciplined at any point in your, in your Christian life, you're probably not a Christian. You're an illegitimate child is his language. So he's comparing a human father with his human son to God disciplining his human child on the Lord. This is what he says, Hebrews chapter 12, we'll start in verse 3. Consider him, consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. So, the problem there is people are trying to live like Jesus in the world and they're getting beat up for it, and now they're wanting to give up. So, consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So, the whole letter to Hebrews is a series of warnings. He's he's warning Christians who are getting really tempted to abandon the faith, to give up on living as Christians, to disobey. And and he starts off this section by saying, hey, look, the Christian life is hard. Nobody said it was going to be easy, but it's not like you have laid down your life in order to avoid sin like somebody else did, Jesus. So, don't give up the fight, brother. Don't give up the fight, sister. That's, that's the theme of where he's going. But some of them are giving up, and some of them are giving in to sin. They're disobeying God. And since God is their loving father, God is introducing some form of discipline into their lives. And the purpose of that discipline is to call them back into obedience. That's the purpose. Verse 5, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? This is Hebrews 12, 5. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. A word that's not the same, but very similar to the word in Ephesians 6 for instruction. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So the author quotes Proverbs chapter 3, what's going on in Proverbs chapter 3? You go to the book of Proverbs, you remember there are 10 talks. A father sits down with his son, gives him 10 of these little instructions, and this is the third of those 10 talks. And in that third talk, what is he doing? He, he is focusing on, he's saying to his son, son, remember the loyal love of that God has for you and have that same loyal love for Him in all of life. Even when God is chastising you for your sins, stay loyal to God. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Getting disciplined by your heavenly Father is proof that you belong to that Father. If if I see some dad scolding a young man in the park, I assume that that man that's doing that is the child's dad, that he's the father, should be. It speaks to the relationship, the discipline, the exercise of discipline speaks to the relationship. Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, the earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He, God our Father, disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. I think it's worth pausing there to notice Uh, The end goal of God's discipline of us. What is it? What's God after when he disciplines us? It's right there in verse, uh, yeah, what is that? Verse 10. The end goal is that we get to the finish line and that we share in his holiness. he's, He's disciplining us to get us back on track. In other words, he disciplines us because he loves us. He uses his authority to correct us. And that's important for a couple of reasons. But one of them is the temptation we experience when we get disciplined. And and what's the temptation? When you're getting disciplined, the temptation is to focus so much on the pain of the discipline that you try to get out from under it. Because discipline, by definition, is painful. Verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Again, I want you to notice, parents, the the goal the Lord has in his discipline of his children. It's to train us so that we live righteously and with a personal peace of mind and heart. That's verse 11. In other words, godly discipline leads to peace not exasperation. It's really important to understand something about the discipline of the Lord. God's discipline is not retributive. God never pays back Christians for their sins because all of their sins have already been paid for, right? The discipline of God is not retributive, it is corrective. It's it's his way of getting the attention of our hearts by introducing something painful into our lives. And he's doing this in order to help us to obey. God does not use retributive discipline with his children. Your sins have been paid for full by Jesus Christ. Retribution simply means an eye for an eye. Or in the case of sin, the wages of sin is what? Death. And the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Friend, Jesus on the cross was taking all the retributive discipline, the retributive justice for the sins of his people, everyone who would repent and believe on him. We like to sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow, and it was gone. Which means if you haven't repented of your sins, you're going to have to pay for your sins forever in hell. The wages of sin is death. But there's a way to escape that eternal discipline, this endless retributive justice. You have to reject your sins and reach out to Jesus. Call out to him in prayer to save you. Kids can do that. Grown ups can do that. Jesus himself said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's Jesus' command. Will you obey his authority? And once you do that and he saves you, you're going to be spared forever that eternal discipline. But he will use corrective discipline as an expression of his love for you. How does God correctively discipline us? Well, for Christians that can come in a lot of different ways. Sometimes God sovereignly arranges providence so that your evil plans are thwarted sins are exposed, failings are caught, that kind of thing. You might think here about how David was going off to murder Nabal and Abigail interceded and stopped him from great sin. Other times the Lord might withdraw his felt presence as, as an expression of his, de- pleasure, his displeasure. rather. So He's displeased with our behavior, so he withdraws his felt presence, and that's in an effort to help us feel our need of him. You might think here of Psalm 42 or Psalm 63. You might think here of Newton's hymn, I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love, and every grace might more of his salvation know, and seek more earnestly his face. It was he who taught me thus to pray, and he I trust has answered prayer But it's been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. Let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more, with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Will you pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break your schemes of earthly joy, that thou mayst find thy all in me." Sometimes he withdraws his presence, his felt presence, to discipline us and draw us back to him. Sometimes you get sick. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, same word, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. You're tracking in a worldly way. God loves you so much, he brings in sickness, sickness. Get you back so that you're not condemned with the world. In other words, God has all these means at his disposal to inflict a level of pain on a Christian that is intended to stop bad behavior and lead to good behavior. God lovingly uses something displeasurable in in order to stop our disobedience and win back our affectionate obedience. So it should really be no surprise at all that parents are to copy God. You're to be like him. And we are to discipline our children in a similar way. Just as he loves his children and he disciplines them to call them back into obedience, we're to love our children to call them back into obedience. You know, there was a time when the Old Testament, written in Hebrew, was translated into Greek called the Septuagint, and and that's helpful for us because it's using the same Greek language that the New Testament was written in is now being used with Old Testament, and so we can see how words were used. The authors use the same Greek word that Paul uses here for discipline uh, to talk about a proverb about wise parenting. This is Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. Whoever spares the rod, finish it. If you said spoils the child, you are totally wrong. It's far worse than that. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. Hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. There's our word. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. It's maybe just worth pausing and saying if if you're sort of going with the world and thinking any expression of displeasure to your child is hateful, the Bible's sort of telling you the opposite is true. The failure to curb your child's bad behavior is hateful. The the rod here represents anything displeasurable that, that curbs bad behavior, gets attention of the heart. So, we're to to provide our children with both age and personality-appropriate displeasure in order to curb disobedient behavior and encourage loving obedience to us, the parent, because they, our children, are told to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. That means the discipline of a two-year-old probably looks a lot different than the discipline of your eight-year-old. And things like frequency and intensity, the means used and such, those are all going to vary widely depending on a host of factors, not the least of which is your child's own personality. Things like culture, even the laws of the land, may inform how you live out this principle of disciplining your children. But for now, dad, I want you to see this, dad, You are required by God to ensure your kids are lovingly disciplined, whether that's by you or through the mediated authority that is given to your wife. This is something God expects of Christian parents to discipline your kids in a way that does not exasperate them. Let's just leave that right there for a moment and go on to the third and final thing. What's the other thing? Don't exasperate. Do discipline. Number three, teach and urge compliance to the truth in your kids. Teach and urge compliance to the truth. So bring them up, nourish them in the instruction of the Lord. I'm going to give you, I don't like giving Greek words, but this one's kind of interesting, nutheteo, because you may have been exposed to a sort of Christian form of counseling called nuthetic counseling. They get it from this word. New, to 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 newthetize somebody um, is not just to instruct them. Like here's a here's some information for you. It's to give the information, but to to urge the person to live by it, like obey it or or respond to it appropriately. That's what the word means. So sometimes it's translated admonish, sometimes instruct. It has has this idea, but it's always it always carries with it the concept of truth. Let me show you how Paul uses it in Romans 15. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge and able to neuthetize, instruct one another. You have fullness of knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of God, knowledge of his truth. And so you are able to each other, you're able to admonish each other. That's what Christians do. If you're a member of the church, that's what you're, you're doing. You're, you're looking at a brother's life and, and you're saying, hey, brother, I, I noticed that you're not quite living in line with God's truth here, and he says, thank you very much. And, and then he looks at your life and he says, man, I notice you're not quite living in line with God's truth here. You say, thank you very much. The thank you always comes, right? Uh, we don't, it's not always always easy to hear, but that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help each other to live the most godly life that we can live. And that's what you're to do, parent, with your child. You're to, you're to both tell them what is true and then call them to live it. So you could think of your kid as kind of like um, a, a, a library book with nothing written on the pages. And you go to the library you you check out the book I 'm saying library because like you know there's always a you' got to return it sometime and and that's kind of true with your kids. you get them for a limited time, and so maybe it's sixteen years, eighteen years, whatever it is. You check the book out and it 's like a blank book, and for this limited time, you get to fill in the pages with truth but then there's this other part where your kids are nothing like a library book because uh, you don't want to just fill people up with data you want to you want to you want to call them to live that data, you want to call them to live a certain kind of way. And that has all kinds of implications about you, like how you're going to model that, for instance. <laughs> you know, the one we've probably all failed at, stop being angry, <laughs> Oops, <laughs> that doesn't work. Um, so we want, to, we want to model things appropriately because uh, all that kind of stuff, right? It strikes me as humorous sometimes. uh, Proverbs 22, 6. Everybody likes the second half of that verse. You know what? Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. We like that part. But sometimes we forget the first part. Train up a child in the way he should go. That's that's what you do as a parent. But all you can do is that. Train up a child in the way they should go. (laughs) But are you even doing that? Uh, You you may do that by how you educate your children. You may do that by how consistently you bring them to Grace Kids. You may do that by how carefully you explain the Bible to them at home. But ultimately, God is not going to hold Grace Kids teachers and school teachers accountable for the biblical intake of your children. He's just not. Uh, That responsibility is on you as the parent. Don't get me wrong. Pastors and Grace Kids teachers and all that. They have their own sphere of accountability and responsibility. But you as a parent, the charge is given to you. It's not given to the community. Parents, you do this. Instruct your children in the Lord. So there you are. you got to figure out how do I live this principle? How do I instruct my children in the Lord? Can I just tell you that I think God is... I, want to be, I don't want to demean the character of God in any way, but I often think God is, is sort of poised and ready, like a runner on the starting line, just waiting for you to demonstrate the least bit of obedience and He will rush to your help. He's eager to help. And so if you're kind of like, I'm, I'm, you know, sloppy in your application of those truths, you're not really sure, like you're doing your best, take encouragement, friend that God is not like, he's not back there going like, ah, nah. like you should have figured, no, man, that's pathetic. This is not what he's like. Think about, think about the, the, some of the worst characters in your Bible who repented, and you're like, there's no way God's going to forgive them, and he forgives them, because <laughs> that's what he's like, and he is eager to help you in your parenting. And all I'm saying to you is this. I want to argue that this tight little triad here in Ephesians 6.4 four is basically all the parenting instruction you need. That's it. Don't exasperate your kids, do discipline them in the, in the Lord, and do instruct them in the Lord. And I think part of what's brilliant about that is that God does not tie us to some antiquated parenting, 2,000-year-old parenting norms. He gives us principles that we have to live out in our day and in our age. I mean, I figured what discipline and instruction in the Lord looked like to a first-generation immigrant to York, Ontario in 1821 is probably a lot different than what the discipline and instruction of the Lord to a first-generation immigrant to North York, Ontario looks like in 2021. The way the principle lives out is going to be different. But the the, the, the difference lies in application, not in principle. Whether it's 1821 or 2021, you have to obey God. And God says, don't exasperate your kids, bring them up in the discipline of the Lord, and bring them up in the admonishment of the Lord. Let me give you three questions to evaluate your parenting Are you leading your kids in a way that seems to stir up a lot of anger and resentment? Are you correcting your kids without love? paying them back for the way they just embarrassed you rather than helping them to learn good behavior? Are you disciplining your kids for lack of comprehension rather than disobedience? Are you giving a lot of orders without explanations? Do you never teach your kids the why? Do you have no idea what your child thinks about God? If you're answering yes to these questions, any of them, then your parenting is probably in need of an oil change. I mean, you can keep on driving your car for a while with bad oil, right? I'm looking to our mechanic. Like, you can go for a little while, but you can't go too long before everything else starts breaking down. and. You're parenting. You can keep on parenting, you know, kind of negligently for a while. But friend, you've only got those quivers, those arrows in your quiver for a short time, and then they're gone. And how are you going to steward that time? Let me offer you one thing. I think there's probably less than 11 people on the planet who have stronger opinions about parenting than me. I have, tons of, I have tons of parenting opinions, tons of them, tons of preferences, tons of them, and tons of ideas on how people should apply those three principles. And I think that some of my opinions are actually okay. Um, I, I don't think they're all right, but I think some of them are all right. I didn't, most of them are not original, like 99.9% of them I beg, borrowed, and stole from somebody else. So that's why I think they're, they're pretty good, they're Okay. So uh, once I'm, I'm starting a foundations class on Wednesday night on worship, that runs for six weeks, I'm going to take a week or two off, and then I'm going to start another foundations class. Uh, here's the title for it. Are you ready? Pastor Paul's Opinions, Preferences, Proposals About Parenting. That's pretty good, huh? Because uh, that's what it is. Because I, I think it can be useful to sit down with other parents and just be really super clear. Here's what the Bible says. We're all clear on that. All right. Let's talk about what the Bible does not say. How to apply that over here. Here's tips, here's advice. You know what you can do with tips and advice? You can ignore them. <laughs> you probably got lots of those here. Yeah, you should do this. Thank you very much. <laughs> so you can come to that class and you can do that. I'll give you all my tips and advice and you can just be like, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is there another class next week? Like You can figure that out. But uh, I think I, So why, why I'm saying that is I don't want you to ape my parenting. I don't want you to try to be me and Susan. That would be weird anyway. But I think you could just look what other parents have done who've gone before you and say, oh, that's some good things because that's all we did. We just sort of copied the stuff we liked in other people and didn't copy the stuff we didn't want in other people, and that's fine. And so if you want, you can come to that Foundations class. I'm not sure how long it'll be, but I'll give. I won't give all one million of my opinions, but I'll give some of them. But whether you come to the class or whether you don't, Um, your, your hope's not in the class your hope is in the Lord who told you parents this parents do not exasperate your children but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord go and do that and you will please God let's pray together so Lord help us to go and do that And uh, to help one another with that as well, to just be very faithful, to encourage good parenting. For those of us who have been down that road, if we're honest, we can remember that it seemed like there was a lot more struggle than uh, ease, and so help us to be patient with one another, to encourage each other. Don't let any of us march around here like we got all the answers, uh, but help us all to point each other to the truth. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.